welcome to Conversations About Life. Well, good morning, Jamie, and thanks for being a guest on the podcast. Yeah, not a problem. I appreciate the opportunity to come out and talk with you. So you're in this area for work, but you're, and your home is Florida, right? Yes. Okay. We met at the gym. And um, so you're married, and yeah. do you have any children? No kids. Uh, we have, unless you count uh, animals, we have a couple fur babies, two dogs, two cats, and that's about it. Okay. Yeah, well, it's a household. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, okay, and I, I met you up here, and um, you, see, I think you're like an inspector in some kind of, like for construction and so yeah. forth. Yeah, uh, so I do uh, safety and health uh, for a construction company. So one of our, pro- uh, the project I'm on right now is uh, at Arnold NGA. We're kind of working on their rear control, access control point. And so I just make sure that everybody's following by the safety standards, um, nobody's getting hurt and all that type of stuff. Okay. And I know we, when we got to talking, we were talking some about Christianity and things like that. Um, besides that, um, what kind? how would you describe your personality or just what, what are you into and, um, and that type of thing? I like to think I'm kind of outgoing, or I used to be a lot more outgoing as I get older. I kind of become more recluse, but um, for the most part, you know, I just like to watch sports. I used to like to play sports, but that old age kind of starts, you know, sneaking up on you. Mm -hmm. Um, Watch a lot of uh, movies, TV, um, and a lot of my time lately has been spent just kind of watching different YouTube videos uh, about like Christianity and mm-hmm. a lot of verse by verse Bible studies stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So um, occasionally play some Xbox or PlayStation, and that's about um, well since I've been here about what I normally do. Uh, back down in Florida where I live, I do a lot of like woodworking or stuff like that. Just trying to um, home projects, things that the wife uh, you know honey do list. Mm-hmm. So. A uh, little bit of everything, you know. I don't think I'm a master at anything, but like to dabble in about everything that I can get my hands on. So why from outgoing to recluse, any particular? Um, I think some of it has to do with my time in the military, just kind of um, <clears throat> deployed, you know, 12 different times. And uh, after a while, you start to see some of like the PTSD and stuff like that start to affect you. And, you know, you kind of change how you approach different things and you don't like I didn't really realize it at first till the wife kind of mentioned something and it was at that point where I noticed I was starting to be more uh, recluse and just kind of pulled back from going out Um, didn't have the friends that I used to a lot of them either moved on or just kind of I didn't find the the desire to hang out with others so um, I think that was like a big part of it And so then, you know, I tried to step out and uh, be more outgoing, but it's just not the same as it was before. So um, do you experience PD post-traumatic stress? uh, Yeah. Yeah. um, I still get some, like, instances uh, that kind of, you know, just this weird feeling, Uh, especially if I hear, like, loud noises or something like that that I'm not expecting. Um, 
living in Florida, I live by one of the military bases, and they have the Eglin Range <clears throat> right there. And so they do a lot of... <clears throat> sorry, my throat's kind of uh, scratchy. But they do a lot of, uh, like, gunships in the area, so they do a lot of firing and stuff like that, and occasionally I'll hear that, and I'm kind of like, you know, just kind of stop and look around and realize that, you know, I'm not over in a war zone or anything like that, but it's just loud noises kind of set it off a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> yeah, um, some people talk, you know, I was talking about backpacking that I've kind of gotten into this year, and some people uh, talk about just kind of like the healing aspect of nature, you know, and I was out with my daughter backpacking a couple weeks ago, and in the morning, you know, we got up from trying to sleep, you know, throughout the night. I'm not real good at sleeping on the ground. She brings a hammock, and I don't know, but she did it. Okay. But um, I, um, but we were just sitting on, you know, a mat, after, you know, in, in the forest, drinking a cup of coffee when we got up, and uh, just really enjoyed talking. And she said, um, this is forest bathing. And uh, I never heard that term before. But it is kind of like you're just in this atmosphere, and it's just like, surrounding you and it's like the the little sounds of the creatures and the birds and the breeze and the trees and everything and it does seem to have for me it kind of has this certain mood to it or something like that but I can um, I can see how some people would find that type of thing to be like healing or something like that just the peacefulness of it you know? yeah yeah no definitely I get that too um you know, like every night when I go to bed, I got a little uh, one of the Google minis next to my bed, and I just have that play like nature sounds, whether it's, you know, like waves crashing on the beach, thunder, or um, anything but the birds and like the crickets chirping are like the two <laughs> things that I try to avoid. But um, it definitely kind of gives you that soothing, relaxing feeling. Uh, helps me go to sleep because I, for a long time, I had a lot of issues like falling asleep or staying asleep. And that seems to really help out. And then, you know, I think when you're camping and stuff, you know, a lot of the times you're right there near the ground. You might not be touching the ground, you know, um, but there is a definite healing factor with, you know, connecting with nature and being able to ground your body and get rid of a lot of that built up uh, electricity in your in your system that, you know, most times we don't really... Um, ground ourselves to try and get rid of the negative energy that builds up so I can definitely see how you know I used to go camping a lot and you know I can see how that helps out to kind of relax you Mm -hmm. you get the noises it's kind of like a full immersion Mm -hmm. so if you're interested in coming with me I was thinking my next trip might be around October 9th something like that um, because it's a full moon and seeing how, man, I have a frustrating time trying to sleep anyway if I'm out just on the ground. Um, thought, well, full moon, it'll be nice and bright. I can just sit and make it more like a watch than uh, trying to sleep. Though I hope I do get some sleep. But, yeah. <laughs> but I have extra gear and stuff. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, I don't know what, uh, what the future holds for me sure. right now. Uh, I know my wife is definitely missing me quite a bit, so yeah. this little trip that I got to take with her was kind of nice, and yeah. usually about once a month or a little over once a month, I get to go home, 
yeah. uh, and kind of visit. So right. I don't want to say, yeah, I'll go with you. And then, sure. you know, she get a little upset at me. So, <laughs> yeah, but I'll definitely look into it. Okay. So, um, you know, I think you told me a little bit before about like coming into Christianity. So like there was like a conversion for you or something like that? Um, what? Well, so I was raised uh, Lutheran. My parents took me to Sunday school, okay. and yeah. you know, ever since I can remember, and uh, you know, my dad would get uh, wake me up early in the morning, and we'd go to the six o'clock service and just kind of, you know, spend some time at the church and um, go through the service, and uh, you know, I really enjoyed it, the time that I spent with my dad doing that thing, and then um, as I got older, you know, still went to Sunday school and got confirmed and all that stuff in the Lutheran church. <clears throat> um, and after church, every Sunday, I'd always go to my great-grandma's house and kind of spend it with her. So it kind of, uh, you know, created a, a nice environment to, uh, in, in, I guess, introduction into Christianity for me. Okay. Um, and then as I got older, I kind of not really despised it, so to speak, but I kind of turned my back on it for a bit. Um, you know, uh, I guess the rebellious stage and all that type of stuff as a, an older teenager and everything. And um, <clears throat> I, I ex- like explored the different religions that were out there from, you know, like Muslim, Buddhism, Wiccan, and all that type of stuff. And nothing just felt right. It just felt like it was wrong. Um, and then I joined the military, and uh, while I was at basic training, uh, it was July 9th um, in 2000, I'm just sitting in church, and I don't remember exactly what passage the, was being read. It was something from Romans, and I just all of a sudden felt this like energy just kind of come into me and felt light, and you know, almost like I was floating out of my body and just kind of felt this um, happiness and, you know, just feeling secure and so I kind of look at that as when I was born again into the Christian religion and since then you know I was maybe a little on and off but I always you know was closer to Jesus and God than um, what I was previously and then more recently um, after going through a lot of uh, like counseling and talking talking with like uh, a psychiatrist and stuff like that for the PTSD I kind of found that um, Christianity or I'd say more just uh, the Bible was um, brought me a lot more comfort and so I started doing a lot of reading and you know like I said watching a lot of YouTube videos and just trying to learn everything I could just had this drive to to get as much information about it as I could and to know as much as I could and so that kind of brings me to where I'm at today. So, you know, that experience, um, you know, in the Chapworth Church, you know, when you referring to be, being born again, what was going on in, in your life leading up to that point? Anything in particular, like, um, um, that set the stage for that? No, like I said, I was kind of turned my back on, mm-hmm. uh, like, religion in general. Uh, just kind of trying to find what where I was in life and, you know, wanted to know how did I know that Christianity was the right religion or, you know, anything like that. And I just kind of felt that, or it seemed to me, that a lot of the other religions that were out there 
were more about internally finding you know who you are and um, trying to find where you fit in in the world when Christianity has answered that you know our whole purpose is to love God love Jesus and praise them to the best of our ability you know like as uh, Paul says um, we all have our own unique talents and those are the talents that we should be using to praise God and so uh, you know I kind of found that um, not right away but you know it, it kind of led me to that um, after uh, that you know, July 9th um, instance that I kind of had where it just felt like I was born again. So my experience was like I grew up in a Baptist tradition. And um, so we didn't have like confirmation class and type of thing. It's like there would, you know, you were kind of waiting for something to happen, it seemed like, to be born again, you know. like, And there would be at the end of the service like playing music that last song and the preachers you know uh, inviting you to come forward and i guess to um you know pray a prayer of salvation something along those lines and when i was a kid you know i was trying to do whatever i could to make this happen to me you know but it was just a frustrating experience um so i got baptized and i walked forward you know and i um I, uh, you know, would pray the prayer at the end of the tracks and try to just be sincere enough and so forth. But then um, after that frustration, I just kind of put it all behind me and just went on with my life and um, was pretty rebellious, you know, throughout my teen years. But then when I came to 18, I just came to a place in my life where I was just really um, low, depressed, feeling... Um, morally disgusting and so, so forth. So I asked God to save me um, from who I had become. And But this time, it was like just a load of guilt lifted from me. And uh, it just felt as light as a feather. And it was like a whole new world opening up to me. You know, and, it just, and I gained an interest in the Bible and so forth. But um, so earlier in my life, it was almost like, well, what can I do? What kind of religious thing can I do to be born again? You know, later it was, I was really hit with um, my need, I guess. Like I had grown to be a, into a person that I just felt morally disgusted with, you know, and, and I didn't think I could help myself. So I turned to God. I don't think expecting anything, but then that's when it seems like I had this spiritual encounter and stuff. So that, you know, that's why I was asking, you know, did anything lead up to that point? Because I, I was just wondering if, like, the whole thing of, like, guilt and needing to be um, saved from sin, you know, was a part of it. Or if it, in your experience, if, you know, it wasn't so much a part of it just then, it was like something from the scripture that was... Um, or just some kind of experience or something like that. But Yeah, no, I think, um, you know, kind of like I was saying, a lot of it was just trying to find who I was and be, like, the best person I could be and, mm-hmm. you know, ultimately kept failing and failing. And, you know, you, like you said, you get that frustration where you're just kind of like, you don't know what to do, don't know where to go. 
And, you know, and that's when I started to remember the times, uh, you know, going to church with my dad and, you know, listening to some of those sermons and everything. But there was a lot of, you know, um, I don't want to say, like, just uh, low self-esteem, you know. You have, like, a, almost a hatred for yourself or what you're becoming, and mm-hmm. you try to do better, but then you're relying on your own goodness and your own abilities, and that just kind of, you know, keeps failing over and over. And so, you know, at that point, it was just kind of like, all right, uh, obviously I'm not the one that can do anything to to save myself or whatever. And that's when I kind of, you know, remembered some of the teachings and stuff like that and gave myself over to Jesus and just said, all right, here you go. Take the wheel, you know. Um, Obviously, I can't do it. I need some help. Yeah. How would you instruct someone else or talk to somebody else? And um, I guess it depends on what their state they're in. Like um, some people just seem so satisfied with them. They seem full of hope. Like their hope is not in the Bible and Jesus and so forth. It's almost like uh, that's kind of discounted. But they're really optimistic about life and they think they're heading heading in the right direction. And um, it it almost seems like, well, there's nothing, for me, it seems like there's nothing you can say to them because like Jesus only makes sense if you have a need, it seems like. Yeah. Um, and it's almost, I don't know. It's like no, I get you, and I yeah. think the the best way to go about that is, you know, a lot of people that are in that place in their life, they don't realize that they need Jesus. So the only thing you can do is kind of try and peel back the layers and get them to realize that they're a sinner and that the you know they can't save themselves. So you know maybe start asking them like, do you think you're a good person? And nine times out of ten, they're gonna say, yeah, I'm a good person. Or, I try to be a good person. Well, then that's when you start, you know, put them to the test. Ask them how they uh, stack up against the Ten Commandments. You know, do you lie? Well, yeah. Okay, what do you call someone that lies? Well, a liar. You know, have you stole anything in your life regardless of value? Well, yeah, when I was a kid. Well, it doesn't matter if it was when you were a kid or, you know, a day ago. Everything you've done is in the past. What I've just said is in the past. So you kind of go through, you know, maybe five, six of the Ten Commandments and get them to realize that they are a sinner, that not everything is perfect in their life. And then you kind of start going through, you know, the gospel um, and getting them to see that, you know, it's only through their faith in Jesus, you know, that saves them. And so I think that's the way to to go after somebody that doesn't think that they need God or Jesus in their life is to show them that, yes, you actually do, you know, because it doesn't matter what the sin is, you you know, you break one, you break them all. So it's at that point that, you know, they start to realize that they might not be um, as good as they think they are. And so, you know, it's just our job as Christians to plant that seed. I'm not trying to convert anybody, you know. Some people might get a little hostile when you're trying to bring it up to them because you're, you know, witnessing to their conscience. So it's just a matter of just getting that seed out there, tell them, you know, what the gospel is and how to get saved, and hopefully, you know, just pray that the Holy Spirit takes hold and moves forward from there. So that reminds me of 
Great Comfort. Are you familiar with him? Yes, I watched okay. him for quite a bit. Uh, so that's kind of where I got that. And yeah. I, I agree with a lot of what he says, but I think he's he misses a couple points. Or he kind of looks at um, repentance different than what uh, you know the biblical term of repentance is. And, and, and what, what's the difference there? So um, the biblical... Like repentance, if you look, there's many times in the Bible that it says that God himself repented. Well, he's not, you know, he's not repenting how like Ray Comfort would say, okay, you're going to, you know, turn from your sin. It's more a change of mind. So you're looking at repentance as going from unbelief in God to belief in God. So you're changing your mind. It's not necessarily every time you sin you're repenting from your sins because I mean you're still gonna we're, we're human we're you know we're not in our glorified body so we're gonna continue to sin we're gonna try and fight it but it's inevitable that we're still going to sin so having a repentance every time you sin is it just doesn't make sense in a biblical standpoint like I said God himself repented a couple times in the Bible uh, I don't remember exactly what verses or Old Testament, but, you know, is God changing his mind? I mean, from, you know, like what Ray Comfort is saying in that sense, or is it more of just a complete change of mind? Right. Like a kind of a change of heart. Like, yes. Um, before the flood, he repented that he made man or something along those lines. You know? right, right, right. So I think um, Ray Comfort, like I said, he's got a, he helped me kind of learn how to reach out to people and kind of show them how to see that they're sinners. But then um, it's just those couple different things like the repentance that I think he got wrong. So, And if you, um, and you know, when it comes to sin, that is a change of heart too, or a change of mind. It's like, um, because you're kind of like wanting that, you're trying to satisfy yourself with it. So it, it's really kind of, giving that up and say, hey, I'm, I'm going to give that up. I'm going to turn to Jesus. So it's kind of, I can see how the word could be used in both situations. It's just a matter of context, you know, but yeah. anyway. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. Um, now, um, along with Ray Comfort, there's been a couple other, uh, like, YouTube video, um, I guess, teachers that I've watched that kind of helped out and yeah. really explained a lot of, um, of the more in-depth doctrine that, you know, I know I lacked and uh, still lack today, but they kind of help put those bits and pieces together. Um, there's a uh, Robert Breaker. Uh, he's got a really good verse-by-verse -verse, uh, Bible study, and I'm actually going through some of his, um, the, the book of Galatians right now. And so what he kind of does is, he started off um, with First and Second Thessalonians, and that kind of, you know, those were the first books that were uh, timeline-wise that were written. So I started to, I watched all those and then moved on to Galatians, and um, he uses just the Bible itself, doesn't really go to any outside sources um, to kind of show what each verse means or to kind of build that doctrine up. Um, and then there's also uh, another, <clears throat> um, what's his name, uh, Dr. Gene Kim. 
he does um, a lot of stuff kind of like that, similar to Robert Breaker. They both had the same uh, like seminary pastor or teacher growing up, uh, Peter Ruckman. So they have a very similar stance in how they kind of approach the Bible. Um, they only use the King James only, uh, our version only. So it's, and they explain why. It's not so much just King James version only. It's the what they're looking at is more the Bible itself. You know, if God's word is perfect, then you know one of these Bibles has to be more perfect than the other. And so they kind of break it down and you know look at the integrity of the Bible, where the books came from. They'll look at uh, like the intellectual standpoint, and then just um, go from there to show that the most uh, accurate version of the Bible is the King James 1611 version um, where I kind of agree with them on that but you know to each their own I would recommend uh, anyone watch those videos on YouTube from either Robert Breaker or Gene Kim and they'll kind of uh, show you why um, if you're not using a King James version that you know you might want to at least look into it um, so Okay. Yeah. Um, so there's two kind of dis distinctions in your kind of version of Christianity. One would be the King James thing, and the other would be like what's referred to as dispensationalism. Is that kind of how you would refer to it as well? Yeah. Um, so like I said, it's not so much that it's uh, solely relied on the King James version. It's more um, of the accuracy of what Bible we're using. Like, I don't believe that uh, using the critical text or the Alexandrian text, the Vaticanus or the Sinaiticus uh, text uh, should be incorporated within the Bible. And that's just kind of looking back at what um, uh, God had told us, that he would preserve his word from generation to generation. Well, critical text, and you know, was based off the Alexandrian text, and the um, Sinaiticus and the Vaticanus weren't always around with um, the majority text um, or the Textus Receptus. So a lot of those didn't come out till you know, like a couple hundred years ago when they found like the Dead Sea Scrolls or whatever it is, you know, and they started to incorporate those into the Bible. So if God was going to preserve his word from generation to generation, then why are these texts that weren't a part of the Bible that they have similar uh, books that the Bible has, but it's worded different. They don't match up with, you know, the majority text, which is you have almost 6,000 scrolls or pieces of scrolls. Now you have, when you're looking at it, almost every single one of those lines up or matches up perfectly with itself. Um, then you look at the other texts that I was talking about. They came out later. I think there's like 31. They might be more complete, and they say that they might be the oldest texts that we have, but they haven't been around. You know, they haven't been in circulation for the last... In circulation. Right. So they're what, like, the majority of biblical scholars would say they're older, but they're more recently discovered. But, you know, essentially... I don't want to give the impression that, like uh, the King James, the text that the King James translated from, and the texts that our modern translations are translated from, 
are like significantly different. I mean, the essential teachings of the Bible, uh, you know, are there. So there, yeah, there's some little wording differences and things like that. But it's um, anyway, it's the the essential message of Jesus and his death and resurrection. And um, the essential doctrines, I mean, they're similar enough that they're there in both. Do you think so? Is, is um, I think that uh, the newer uh, texts or the more modern texts do have the basic, um, you know, uh, gospel, you know, 1 Corinthians 1, uh, 15, 1 through 4. So it has the basic gospel, but I think they changed some of the doctrine. Um, some of the the Bibles, like the NIV, they they leave out you know specific verses, or they change the wording of things, and I think that can kind of um, confuse the doctrine. And the way I look at it is, you know, if we believe that the Word of God is pure and true, then we should be seeking to find the most pure version of God's Word. Um, you know, you don't want anything tainted or anything that's been changed or messed with by man, you know. And I know a lot of people will say, well, the whole Bible was written by man. Yes, but it was it's the inspired word of God. And if you believe that to be true, that means that there is going to be a perfect version of the Bible or one that is near perfect, you know, which I believe to be the King James version where there's nothing that can be taken out of context or the doctrine isn't um possibly influenced by something that was changed. And so it really comes down to whether you believe that there is a perfect word of God or not. Or if you just feel that it is um, somewhat inspired, you know, it, or not inspired, but somewhat, <clears throat> um, it's kind of hard to explain. But yeah, uh, you know, whether you believe it's a pure word of God or not. And that's where I you know, I look at it as, yes, it, there is a pure word of God, so we should try and find that and use that. For, to you, what's the most significant uh, doctrine difference between, um, like, the uh, the King James Version and modern translations? Ooh, that's a, that's a tough question. I don't know if I can answer that right now without, you know, that's kind of... Uh, Requires a lot of thought. <laughs> um, well, like I was saying, with the, the, a lot of the different modern ones, I know kind of bring up um, the divinity of Jesus, whether he was divine or not in some of the versions. So I think, um, you know, whether we want, uh, whether you look at it as Jesus was the Son of God and like his divinity, or whether it's just kind of open to interpretation because there's some parts in the uh, more modern Bibles that almost make it sound like Lucifer is the, the, the morning star instead of, you know, like God being, or Jesus being um, God's son. So I think that's kind of why I, I kind of shy away from the modern day versions because they, they don't necessarily speak to Jesus's divinity and kind of, can get confusing when they speak of Lucifer and make him sound as if he's, um, you know, the chosen one, so to speak. Are you referring to any particular text? Um, I, 
I want to say it's the Alexandrian text. That well, I, really, I mean, like uh, oh. passage in the Bible. And uh, I, I want to say it's in Matthew or Mark, but I don't remember the exact um, what uh, the exact. Because uh, I think verse. like Lucifer, it's um, you know referred. It's the word used in the Old Testament referred to the king of Babylon at one place. And um, and then some people um, kind of take that to think, well, really, it's talking about Satan. And then at the end of Revelation, I think it talks about um, Jesus being the bright morning star, something like you know, something where in the original it's like similar to Lucifer or something like that. But um, besides that, I'm not sure if it being used anywhere in the text in the scriptures, but. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, like I said, uh, I don't. I try and uh, study as much as I can, but I know a lot of it kind of goes in one ear and out the other, so to speak. Um, that's why I'm constantly trying to, you know, watch videos or you know, kind of immerse myself in um, a biblical study and, you know, knowing what the the Bible says and, you know, I'll I'll gain a little piece of information here and there that I'll be like, oh. You know, kind of like turn a light on inside my head and then, you know, maybe like a week later I forget about it or something. Um, so recently I've started uh, going through my Bible and highlighting specific verses that kind of caught my attention or something that I want to dig a little bit deeper into. Um, but uh, right now I'm on my third time through the Bible. And uh, the next go around what I want to do is um, I only just, like I said, recently started highlighting but once I get all, everything kind of like highlighted, I want to go through and start uh, doing more research and kind of writing my thoughts and, and do almost like a journal on what what um, what the verse is and then kind of, you know, what research or what uh, other passages I can find that kind of link with it and kind of do a, a Bible study kind of like that. Are you familiar with the YouTube channel Bible Project? Uh, I am. I've, Are you? Yeah. Okay. Um have you looked into the videos and so forth? I've watched a couple of them um, a while back, so okay. uh, nothing like recent. Okay, and then there's also a podcast that goes into more depth. You know, the videos are really short and stuff, but it kind of refers to. So I get a lot from that. It kind of is looking more at the literary structure of the Bible, which I think we kind of need help with. Like it's easier for like Paul's letters because he's kind of like a um, Hellenistic thinker and our western society is linked to that pretty closely so um you know there's not so much of a difference but then you go to like the jewish scripture like you know the genesis and stuff like that it's like there's a pretty good gap about the way they thought and the way they used literature compared to us in the west modern western people with our um you know, modern scientific um, sensibilities and the way we think of writing ought to be and so forth. And uh, so for me, it's helpful. It's kind of like, um, you know, we have like, uh, this is just like a illustration, but we have like political cartoons sometimes and there can be like an elephant and a donkey and Uncle Sam and yeah. so forth. And like, let's say uh, a thousand years from now, um, 
if someone were, were to look at that, it could be kind of confusing and they could, uh, who knows what they would get from it, you know, if they just weren't familiar with like what satire was and what political, you know, what we were trying to say in that genre of literature um, or art or whatever. So for me, uh, like that's kind of how the Bible Project helps and you know commentaries can help with that and stuff like oh, that yeah. too no that makes complete sense and that's why I kind of go back to the you know God said he would preserve his word from generation to generation and it's kind of you know you can look at it as um, you have the kids sitting in the classroom you tell the one first kid a secret and then they have to go from you know one kid to the next all the way to the end and you look at th- how things kind of change but you know I like to think that because it's the inspired word of God that you know it's preserved in that the meaning is um, so anybody can read the Bible and get a, a basic understanding of it. And that's kind of where Paul talks about, you know, the difference between the doctrine of, you know, being milk or meat. You know, as we first get into Christianity or reading the Bible, everything in there is kind of like milk for a babe, you know. It, you should be able to read it and understand the basic um basic concepts or basic ideas that Paul was trying to speak of. And then when you start to get into the doctrine, you know, that's where you start to get in more into the meat and the the really, um, the heavy parts of uh, Christianity. So the word doctrine means teaching. So you're saying, so what do you, how are you using that word? So like you're saying when you just get the kind of the overview, that like that's like, the light teaching and then like the deeper teaching is that yeah. kind of what you mean yeah or? so um i look at it as uh the you know the teachings for i guess the new christians it's you know when you're looking at it um the information that we can read just by reading through um say First uh, Corinthians fifteen one through four. You know, you read that and you you take it for what it says, a literal translation. You know, so that teaching is, hey, this is the gospel, and it's you know the good news of how to be saved. So, and then when you start looking into it a little bit deeper, you know, what other verses or um, epistles of Paul kind of incorporate or work together with that? You know, you start looking at Romans. Um, you know. We find that um, the wages of sin is death, you know. So you start bringing in more, not just taking it word for word, uh, what it says in that verse, but you're taking other parts of different epistles and kind of combining it together to build that that bigger teaching or the bigger message that kind of all work together. It's just filling out your knowledge, I guess. Yes. Right. Yeah. And that makes sense. Um, I guess recently um, someone was, I heard someone mention, well, I was talking about like the literary structure of like some of the Old Testament books and um, how it's a little complex. You know, the, the authors demanded a lot of their readers to like get certain things. And someone said, why, well, you know, they hes- they objected a little bit like, would God... Um, you know, expect people to work that hard to get their, get it, you know, but, um, but it is just how things come to us. I mean, 
first we need to learn the alphabet, then we need to learn to read. I mean, something is expected of us, but you do get like a, just a just the surface level. I mean, you do get something essential and good, and then you can go deeper. And it's not only um, can you read the whole Bible like that, and then maybe grow in your understanding of its richness and depth. But it's also like you can read just a small portion. I'm glad we have the whole Bible, but like the whole is kind of encapsulated in the little sometime because things just circle through like the the Genesis story of God orderly putting uh, creation together and then there's the fall, you know, and that happens over and over and over again, you know, God bringing the temple or the tabernacle together and then the sons of Aaron, they go in with strange fire or something and like it's kind of like another fall story and then boom 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 and then eventually Jesus comes and he's the one who's truly pleasing to God and upright and he like uh, just steps in and accomplishes it all for us and um, when you just read but you can read a small section and it can have like that basic message in it um, so that's kind of cool. I think that, you know, like that, like just that little section of first Corinthians 15 or, um, just, um, that little section of like, whatever you might take for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. You know, it's got like our fallenness, um, God's provision, and it shows that God is good. I mean, you get to, just take something small and get a lot out of it, you know. Yeah. No, I agree completely. Yeah. You know, you look at, like you're saying, the Old Testament and kind of how uh, the Jewish um, uh, writers, you know, are very uh, specific and, you know, like everything that they did had um, reason. But if we look back at how their life was, you know, what we know of it compared to what we have today, you know, they didn't have, you know, like the um, books and everything as we do. You know, they had their scrolls. So a lot of the Old Testament, when they were growing up, uh, they had to memorize, you know, the scriptures. Yeah. And now think of where we'd be at today if we were still memorizing the scriptures and didn't have, you know, our Bible sitting next to us that we could just go to or our phone where you can have an app and just look up what we want. But then, you know... I think they truly had that that meet with the doctrine where they knew everything, where the, you know they had to memorize the the um, Torah and the you know their scriptures. And today we we kind of I think take that for granted a lot. Um, and then you mentioned kind of like how um, Genesis story kind of where you see it repeat itself over and over. I find it absolutely amazing and fascinating just how. You know, you'll see, um, like, history repeat itself in, you know, different versions. Um, but it's the same story over and over. Um, like Genesis, you know, you got the creation story. But then if you actually break it down, um, there's... I don't don't remember everything that um, goes into it, but there was um, a teaching that I had seen on YouTube that basically said, okay, you know, on the first day, you know... Um, God created the heavens and the earth, but then if you look at it as a standpoint as um, one day to God is a thousand years to us, and you start looking at 
human history and how like 6,000, you know, almost 7,000 years of human history and what God did on each day, there was a significant event that happened every thousand years that mirrored, or that mirrors that, um, you know, what he created on each day. So, I mean, it's just kind of amazing and just, uh, it's, hmm. nobody could write something like that and have so many, like, little instances of, um, you know, interconnectivity uh, themselves. It has to be an inspired word of God. And that's why, like I was saying, I really think it is the pure word of God. And that's why I think we have to find that, you know, the the best Bible that we can that is most accurate and, you know. So um, even though there are some differences you know, like like you said, we have thousands of text, which is great. Um, and even though there are some differences, which I think are not like significant, um, and that our um, modern translations are translated from, no matter how you you slice it, the Bible, or which side you're on, there, the Bible is a pretty amazing book, and it seems to me like God preserved His Word. Um, like there's nothing else like it as far as like Old Testament, like not Old Testament, but just old um, writings from like the Roman era or um, after, you know, like we might have just a handful of like Homer or whatever, you know, I'm not sure. Um, and the earliest date of like, so we don't have originals of hardly anything. And the original date of, of like a copy that we might have might be hundreds and hundreds of years from like when the original was actually written. So like when people look at it, they, um, you know, through textual criticism and so forth, kind of determine how old this was. And I guess based on um, what it's talking about and so forth and putting together the, the pieces, puzzle pieces of history and so forth. But like the New Testament, you know, we have, the original copies, you know, go so uh, closely back to the time where they were written. And, um, and those writings are so close to the time of the events. And we have so many, I mean, it's really a unique book compared to like any other ancient literature. Um, and just the way it's preserved and everything is pretty amazing. Like I don't have all the numbers and yeah. things, but you can find that. You can look it up yeah. and see how um, wonderfully unique the Bible is to any other kind of piece of literature that in human history. You know, yeah. as far as like the preservation of it. You know? Yeah, it's just the fact that we have more documentation uh, that makes up the Bible then, you know, like I said, like close to 6,000 uh, scrolls or bits of scrolls yeah. that make up the Bible compared to any other uh, event that happened in human history. Yeah. You know, like there's some that are based, uh, some events that we know um, during Roman times that we might have a max of like 28 documents that kind of all right. confirm that. Yeah. But then here's the Bible that has thousands upon thousands of documents that all confirm that right. what the Bible says is true. And I think a lot of people miss that, don't realize that there's so much more evidence 
for what happens, for what the Bible says, than for, you know, most other uh, events that were taught in school. Right. And it seems like that also points to, like, just how significant the Bible has been to people throughout the ages, that we do have so many copies, like, because, and there's a reason for it, because it meant something yeah. to them, you know, and so yeah. forth. But, yeah, and it's not just, you know, Greek or whatever the language was at that time. I mean, mm-hmm. the Bible was in, you know, so many, like, Gothic languages and Hebrew and, you know, your Greek and just multiple languages that all mirror up and, you know, match each other, yeah. whereas most other events you might have three a handful of documents that are all written in one language yeah um so you you mentioned this kind of caught my attention about like what the purpose of man is to love god to love jesus and to praise him so um i agree with you um and the loving part to me that really resonates it seems obvious we're made for connection you know and we're made to be to love and trust our creator and it's just his pleasure for us to be here the praise part um though i agree with you just when it's there kind of just put out there i can kind of see objections to it like who is god that he needs to be praised i mean it sounds a little bit arrogant or something like that and like why, what does that mean? Like, does that mean just cir- circling around him, playing harps and singing to him? Or, you know, <laughs> no, um, no. I think it just, um, I look at it as praising him is just, you know, by our actions. Doing everything that we do, we should do for him. Kind of, um, reg- irregardless, uh, or regardless of what it is, um, you know, we should be doing it for him and everything that we do becomes a praise to him. You know, if we don't do it for him, we kind of fall back onto what Solomon says that everything is vanity because we're doing it for ourselves or we're doing it for our own praise or to get somebody else to notice us. And so I think if we're doing it, it should be, um, you know, in essence, praising God that we're doing right. it and not trying to get our own, you know, to be humble ourselves and to give that. Um, our gifts, or the gifts that we were given, um, you know, to God, to show Him, like, hey, this yeah. is what you gave me, and so I'm doing this uh, to praise you. And that's what... Right. I, yeah, so it's almost like self-exaltation compared to, like, humbly living in gratefulness to God and just wanting to serve Him out of love for Him, something along those lines. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That was very well said, better than what I could say. <laughs> Okay. So, um, so also, well, you know, I was, um, so I'm just trying to think of where to go next. Um, one thing is like, so, you know, your thoughts about the King James translation and then dispensationalism, they seem like two different issues, right? Or do you see them as going together? Um, I kind of see them going together. Uh, so I think some of the, I don't know for sure on this, but I believe that some of the modern translations kind of try to move away from dispensationalism. Um, 
I think dispensationalism is important because it shows us, you know, God is providing a specific message to a specific group of people at a specific time period or during a specific age. You know, you had um, uh, the Jews had the uh, the Mosaic Law. Then when Jesus came, the Church Age. You know, we we have um, the Age of Grace. Um, you know, <clears throat> you have. Uh, Noah, who was told to build the the boat, so each message or each different dispensation kind of gives um, a different pathway that we are to follow, or a different command of God on how to to move forward. Okay, so you see it connected, as in you see the King James kind of supporting dispensationalism. And you see the modern translations as minimizing it, but you, you don't have like exact text in mind, do you? No, like an ex- I, I don't. Okay, um, that's fine. Yeah, it wasn't really. Uh, like I said, uh, I like to to read a lot of the Bible, but <laughs> when yeah. it comes to remembering things or you know specific uh, okay um, instances or examples, I kind of fall short. <laughs> okay, that's fine. How would you put Christianity in a nutshell? Like, if you were going to give a summary of it, how would you put it? Um, I would put it as uh, <clears throat> Christianity is um, believing that Jesus, or like truly believing and putting your trust, 100% of your trust, um, in Jesus and the sacrifice that he committed. Um, he basically, like a lot of people, I think, kind of don't realize that he paid our fine. We we committed the sin. We committed the crime, which is our sin. Um, doesn't matter if it was a lie, if it was killing somebody. Doesn't matter what it is. We broke God's law, um, and Jesus paid that fine. And so, <clears throat> sorry. So with him paying that fine, it's like being in a court of law. You know, we know that God is. Um, he is. Uh, just so he has to hold everybody accountable for their actions and so Jesus stepped in and because God was loving he gave us his only son Jesus he took on our sin so he took on our debt what we couldn't pay ourselves Um, and so he gave his life so that we may have eternal life but the only way that we get that eternal life is by putting our faith our trust in Jesus if we don't put our faith into him, he doesn't, you know, he, not everybody's going to be saved. The Bible is very clear on that. You know, it tells us that uh, the pathway is very narrow and very few people are going to make it to heaven. So <clears throat> we have to put our faith and our trust in him. You know, that's the blessed hope, the, the grace of God. And so once we put our trust in him, he fills us with the Holy Spirit. So now we become, you know, filled with the Holy Spirit, which kind of, uh, it covers us of our sin. That's our ticket to eternal life. So does the Holy Spirit cover us or does his sacrifice cover us? Uh, so it's, you know, it's looking at it as the Godhead. You have God, the father, Jesus, the son, and the Holy Spirit. While, you know, uh, I know a lot of people don't like to call it the Trinity, but it's a Trinity. It's one God in three parts. So those three parts all work together as one God. Um, you know, just like we are, we're body, we're soul, and we're spirit. We're three parts, but we're only one person. So it's kind of the same thing. Um, so I look at it as um, the Holy Spirit 
entering us is, you know, our sign, our God's promise that we are saved. Right. Yeah, so. that's kind of how I see it. I see it as Jesus, he's the one who accomplished our salvation, and it's not so much like having the Holy Spirit earns our salvation or something, but because of our salvation, God comes to us and we're joined with him and he dwells in us. And uh, and I, I, th- I agree, it's like the sign that we belong to him. Yep. And so yeah. and that's what I think, uh, you know, Christianity is, or what it really is, you know, it's through our faith, we receive God's grace mm-hmm. and, you know, that blessed hope of his return. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So have you thought about apprenticeship with Jesus? Like, and that's a word um, I've, I've heard a couple of times and have thought about, like we, like the biblical word is discipleship. So disciple, like a disciple is a student, you know, but it's not like going into a classroom and sitting down from in front of a teacher. Like the disciples of Jesus, they walked with him, they watched him, they spent time with him. So I think of it more as like, you know, our modern word might be more like an apprenticeship, this kind of, so I, I've been listening to um, John Mark Comer, Practicing the Way. It's a podcast and I've been enjoying. And he's kind of into, you know, like learning from Jesus and growing more like him as we spend time with him. And, and I've, it seems to me like the more I realize he loves me, the more I experience that um, and experience what kind of character Jesus has and that he's with me, it does affect me in such a way that I'm growing more like him. But um, so it's been on my mind lately. But do you have any thoughts about that aspect of Christianity, of, you know, just learning from Jesus, walking with him and stuff like that? Like, what's your experience been like um, and stuff like that, you know? Like, yeah. What's, um so no, I, I I get it completely. I understand, um, and I think for me it was in the beginning when I first started, you know, coming back to Christianity. It was um, uh, more about looking at the epistles of Paul and the message that Jesus revealed to Paul, um, and it still is. But at the same time, uh, you know, if we look at what Jesus did in his life, the way he walked. Um, I think that is ultimately the end goal, even if you look at what Paul teaches, you know, God or Jesus still wants us to be more like he was, um, even though Paul's message might not line up 100% uh, in line with um, what the things that Jesus did when he was alive. But if you look at Old Testament, I consider to go up till the through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John to the point where Jesus died on the cross. Once he died, that's where the New Testament starts, you know, because you can't have uh, the New Testament until the death of the testator, which was Jesus. So I look at everything up until that point, Jesus was uh, preaching or teaching to the Jews. And so there's still very, a lot of what he said is still applicable to us in the church age and the Gentiles, but I think 
if we really look at um, the the dispensation of the of that time, you know who Jesus is talking to, um, who the apostles are talking to. We see that they're focused on the Jews up until the point where Jesus dies, and then he kind of tells Peter and all them to, you know, Peter and Paul to go towards the Gentiles and start teaching them. Um, but <clears throat> along with that, so going back to watching what Jesus does, uh, you know, the apprenticeship, if we look at what he did, ultimately, whether we're Jew or Gentile, you know, or Greek, he still wants us to follow those teachings, you know, love your brother or your neighbor as your brother. And, you know, um, I find the more, the, the more I read the epistles of Paul, the closer that I get to Jesus and the more that I start to uh, push away the sins that I used to do or the things that I did for my own, you know, uh, earthly desires. And so I'm not finding pleasure in those things that I used to. And so I, I find myself walking closer to what uh, Jesus wants us to do, you know, or what God wants us to do. So it's, I think, looking at it as uh, through that aspect of, you know, following what, whether it's what Jesus wants or what Paul tells us, if we, the more we, we read the Bible, the more we study, the closer we get to God, the more we start to mimic or uh, mirror what it is that, you know, God wants us to do. Yeah. So I see the scripture kind of differently than you. I see more of a unity rather than it kind of divided up in different ages. Though I do think that there are, in a sense, different ages. But basically, I, I kind of see that gospel message... Um, Throughout, like I see um, Jesus as um, the Savior of Abraham, you know, um, just like he's my Savior. Um, and then the, um, you know, and I see the, uh, well, anyway, like the book of John has been instrumental lately for me because in it, like I see the tender heartedness of Jesus. For example, He's talking with the, the apostles before his death, and he's really pastoral with them. Like, um, he's uh, talking about they're going to be scattered, they're going to be uh, lone, well, they're going to be in distress and so forth because his crucifixion is coming up. But, like, he's the one who's going to be suffering on the cross, and yet he's caring for them and serving them and comforting them, warning them, and so forth, and just that loving, shepherdly way about him, um, you know, makes an impression on me, and and it's and in, even more powerfully does it make an impression on me, because he's not just a person of history, but in some sense, Jesus is with me, um, and that's hard for me to really put understand but he um said i'll not you know he said he was going to send the holy spirit and then another place um i'll, I'll be with you until the end of the age or something along those lines yeah. no and john is definitely a 
a book that I know a lot of uh, people go to is, you know, especially new Christians, um, a lot of people that I've talked to, um, they will recommend the newer Christians, you know, start in the, the, the Gospel of John. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think... Uh, and it's, and over and over again, it's like, that you may believe, like John the Baptist, that, and then John says, I'm written these things so that you might believe and have yep. eternal life. So, like, there's an evangelic purpose for the whole book anyway. I think part of that is uh, uh, the Gospel of John was actually written well later at, uh, into the timeline after Jesus, um, yeah. his time, you know, it was kind of like John was looking back. So I kind of wonder, you know, when he was writing that, how much of the um, the epistles of Paul had an influence on his take right. on the the gospel and that's why we see it to be so much different and kind of more in line with uh, in a way of what Paul was saying you know well the it's kind of like a different genre of literature like Paul he's is real practical they're letters yep um, he may not have been conscious that this was going to be part of scripture I don't know he he thought they would probably be saved and shared I think you know you get hints of that yeah I think he thought it was going to be during his lifetime that God was going to come back yeah um, poss- or you know possibly uh, in 50 AD when he actually went to back to Jerusalem so yeah. I, you know and um, and they're early in the Christian era but then the gospel accounts it seems to me like they kind of came from oral tradition, like, and then were eventually written down. And they're kind of more of like, well, here's the account. Here's the good news of Jesus' death and resurrection. And, you know, made to get it out there, get the message out there. And, of course, like John, probably written a little bit later. But, um, and seems to be like of a different tradition than the Matthew, Mark, and Luke, which have a lot of similarities, you know. Yeah. But, yeah, it seems like there's different purposes. Like, here's a letter, you know, I started this church. Here's a letter to encourage them, to give them some instruction, to remind them of what the gospel is all about. And then gospel writers like, hey, this is the story of Jesus and his death and resurrection. You know, it's not like a, it's not a letter. It's more like a, a book or a booklet to be shared and so forth mm-hmm. and things like that. Yeah, I think um, the early Bible, um, our early New Testament, we kind of see that um, even through like the first half of Acts, we see the apostles kind of preaching about who Jesus was more so than what he did. It isn't until after like the death of Stephen and when we start to see Paul come around that it changes more from who Jesus was to what he did. I like to think that the book of Acts is a transitional book on many different levels. One where in the beginning, you know, we see um, the book go from Jews to the Gentiles. Um, You know, you have Peter in the beginning. He's preaching to the, you know, teaching to the Jews. And then later on we see Paul. Paul comes out and he starts to reach out to the Gentiles. Yeah. Uh, We also see... Um, in the early Acts that it's water baptism that saves, that was to the Jews. And then later on we see that, you know, when Paul uh, like is teaching to some of the, um, the people, uh, Gentiles, that they receive the, the Holy Spirit without having that water baptism, but then they do 
a baptism, you know, uh, later on to kind of confirm that, you know, like a show of faith. But it, it goes from water baptism to receive the Holy Spirit or, yeah, to, you know, just um, just by hearing the word. And I think a lot of what Paul talks about in his epistles, you know, you, you know, you must hear the word of, of truth first. So, you know, that's like the first step. It's no longer being uh, what John the baptism, uh, John the Baptist did with water, you know, but then it's by the Holy Spirit. Okay. So I don't see the distinction as much as you do, I'm sure, on baptism or not. But um, in both of those cases... Is that person saved by the blood of Jesus? Um, like, is there, is that your your thoughts or or no? I, that's a, I'm trying to think. I don't know necessarily if it's by the blood of the uh, Jesus in the beginning of Acts because it's more about who Jesus or what, uh, yeah, who Jesus was like believing that he was the Messiah. It's not so much about what he did on the cross in the beginning of Acts. So then that seems like that's saying a person is saved by um, believing. How does believing something save a person? Like, um, because you were explaining how God has to be just and he has to punish sin. And then that person is saved because someone else steps in and take the punishment instead but like if God has to be just and punish sin, how does just what they believe make any difference? Um, doesn't there still have to be some kind of reckoning? You know, so, does that earn their salvation or something? Or? So if you look at like um, prior to the death of Stephen uh, in Acts, we see that God is still, or Jesus, you know, he's still going towards the Jews. And if the Jews would have accepted that Jesus was their Messiah right then and there, I believe that the millennial kingdom would have happened but what instantly. If, but what about their sin? Well, how would that have been dealt with? Um, so I think that um, just by believing it, that he was their Messiah would have allowed them to um, be saved. Not so much of what happened on the cross because it was more... We don't see the message of what Jesus did until later in the book of Acts and they're not really you know, go, talking to the Jews. Uh, they still preach it to the Jews, uh, but it's not the me same message that Peter was preaching at the beginning of Acts. So I think that uh, their grace, you know, or their salvation would have been if the Sadducees and the Pharisees at that time would have accepted that Jesus was their Messiah, that they would have received that the grace and we would have seen that millennial kingdom start right then and there but because they denied it um, um, not just God or Jesus but the Holy Spirit as well and I believe that's what the death of Stephen represents is that third time when they denied um, you know the the Godhead that we see everything shifting from focus on the Jews to the Gentiles at that point and the message changed slightly. And that's why Paul had a different message than what Jesus was preaching himself uh, revealed to him with the mysteries that uh, were there since the beginning of the world, uh, Earth. So, 
what kind of um, is amazing to me is that um, we see the Bible and like structured so differently, like really, really, really differently. And yet, because of the gospel, it seems like we're both like uh, joined together in uh, some kind of uh, brotherhood. Right. And and that's pretty amazing, just the stark difference, and yet um, that, you know, that thing that um, um, is enough, um, you know, to, just to say, well, yeah, brotherhood, like you said, like we're yeah. both um, uh, jo- joined to Christ and body of Christ and stuff like that so and I think anyway. these are these are the type of conversations that are really meaningful you know we're we're not attacking each other or saying oh you're wrong because of what you believe but it gives us a chance to be open-minded and discuss with each other how we see things or what we view and try and get a better understanding of the doctrine that you know like you said it's thousands of years old so you know trying to see if we can put um what pieces we do have in the right places and, you know, get that understanding. The main thing is we have to have an agreement that it is through the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross that we are saved and we become brothers. And once we we have that brotherhood between us, you know, that salvation, then we can start to look at things, you know, such as the difference in doctrine that we see and have a edifying conversation. Maybe something that I say might spark something in you and get you to, you know, to see something different and vice versa. Maybe something you say gets me to look at it in a different way. And maybe, you know, that's how God is revealing to us, um, you know, something new in our life. So, so um, do you see that the same? Like, you know, there's a lot of different traditions in Christendom, you know, there's Eastern Orthodox, there's the Roman Catholics, there's, um, you know, Baptists and Lutherans and then fundamentalists and everything like this. So if in all of this, a person is looking to Jesus, trusting in him, um, then that's that common thing that we can share with all of the different traditions. Is that kind of how you see it then? Yep. Yeah, uh, you know, I think it, it doesn't matter your religion or what you claim is your, um, you know, uh, your religion. So, like I said, I was Lutheran, and I completely gave that up just because of some of the doctrine. Um, doesn't mean I don't have fellowship with other others that are Lutheran. You know, my parents and everything, they still claim to be Lutheran, and we still discuss these types of issues and stuff. Um, I think as long as you are putting your trust in Jesus... Uh, that's really all that matters. Mm-hmm. Um, well, that and making sure you have an open mind when you're talking with somebody else. Because if you are already closed-minded and you think that my way is the only way, uh, then you're just going to end up starting an argument or a fight or, you know, you're going to take it personal when, you know, it shouldn't be that way. It should be a way that we can come together and discuss our thoughts and feelings. I mean, we see the different... Um, epistles of Paul that each church had their own uh, downfalls or their own things that they kind of lacked and so 
each one of us, we're not perfect. We know mm-hmm. we lack a lot of stuff. So how better to fill in those gaps than to reach out to other um, versions or uh, religions of Christianity and, you know, maybe find something that we're lacking that might fill that gap or get us to think in that other way um, to help mm-hmm. us become more whole. Right. So. Um, okay. Um, so what is Jesus like and if is that significant? So, you, t- you know, you talked about Paul puts a lot of emphasis on what Jesus done and its significance, which he does. And that is kind of like what's really important because no matter how nice Jesus is, if he didn't die for our sins, it just doesn't really affect us that much. Yeah. But um, what have you come to learn? But Jesus is the revelation of, of God, you know, like in the beginning of Hebrews um, in previous times, God spoke to us through the prophets and so forth. But in these latter times, he has spoken to us through his son, Jesus. So, um, and John says the same thing in chapter one, you know, no one has seen God, but his um, only beloved son, he, you know, he has made the father known. So what have you come to know about God and about Jesus as you've um, just, you know, have lived in, you know, this Christian life and so forth. Um, yeah, just any <laughs> thoughts along those lines. Yeah, uh, I know that um, the the older I get, the more wisdom I get that uh, it's not of my own doing. It's what God is revealing to me at the, the time when I need it. So, you know, just like um, the Bible tells us that what we need will be provided. Uh, you know, we can pray for whatever it is that we want, but if it's not in um, our, I guess, uh, our future, God knows what we need. He's going to provide for us. So um, I know that I, I don't deserve to be saved. I am, you know, a wretched human being filled with sin. And um, it's just uh, one of those things that, so thankful for that you know Jesus walked this earth and was an example for us to to follow and that like I said um, while the message that was revealed to Paul might not be identical to what Jesus was saying but in the end I believe you know that is what God wants of us to be as Jesus was to walk that way to give ourselves fully to you know, our fellow man and to love each other and to praise God. And, um, I just know that, like I said, I'm not worthy of that. So. Okay, cool. Well, I think we'll go ahead and, um, wrap up. Um, but is there anything you want to bring up or anything, you know, just for, before we do? Um, no, just think if there's anybody listening out there today you know just uh be thankful for what you got even during those hard times when it seems like god's maybe turned his back on you that it's all for you know to teach us something whether it's patience you know if we ask to be patient he's going to give us uh 
trials that will test our patience and to allow us to grow. If we ask for strength, he's going to give us challenges that are going to, you know, work on our strength. He's not just going to um, provide a, you know, like, oh, okay, here, now you have the patience or now you have the strength. It's going to be a tribulation that we have to overcome. So don't look at your um, your hard times as, uh, you know, God forsaking you. It's him trying to give you what it is that you asked for. Um, and so just take that with the whatever challenges in front of you with a grain of salt. Know that he is there with you even when you feel you can't go on, you can. Just put your trust in Jesus and know that he is the way, the truth, and the light. And if you do that, you'll have eternal life. All right. Well, thanks, Jamie. I really appreciate the conversation. It's been yeah, great. I really appreciate it too. Mm-hmm.